Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. There's a verse that I didn't like once. It's taken a long time in my life to understand this verse. It's um, in Philippians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul talks about the power of knowing God's resurrection, all the beauty, beautiful things of knowing Jesus. And then in the middle of it, he talks about, I want, to, I want to know, he says, I really want to know the fellowship of your suffering. And I remember reading that as a teenager and thinking, do I really mean that I want to know the fellowship of his suffering? Um, it's not the sort of prayer you wake up every day saying, may I know the fellowship of your suffering today? It's a hard one. But as, as life has gone on, I've understood that with the fellowship of his suffering, it means to, to align ourselves, to relate to him, if you like, in your suffering. And everyone has it. Everyone has their suffering. And what I've discovered as life has gone on, because I remember being probably about 18 and looking at that and thinking, I don't want to pray that unless I really mean it, but the Apostle Paul prays it so it's powerful and he was a world changer so there's something key in this to understanding what it, what it means to the fellowship of his sufferings and I've discovered through time and suffering that if you learn to surrender everything and to thank God, you suddenly start to understand Jesus' suffering because when Jesus went to the cross, he suffered and he praised God in the middle of it because of the joy set, because of the good things God was going to bring out of it. And God redeems all our sufferings as we, as we surrender it to him in thanks and praise that he will do something extraordinary out of this. And there's something liberating that happens with that because that no longer does the suffering hold you in chains, but God redeems it and everyone has something everyone has something we're going to read today about a man who had a particular sort of suffering if I pass the mic around you could all share some suffering that you've had in your life that can be and maybe already through all of you is being redeemed to bring life to someone else but it's only because you've thanked God in the middle of it that he's actually allowed you to experience this one bit of suffering Jesus experienced the suffering that we all experience and we all get to partner in a little bit of it and through that he brings redemption uh, and reconciliation to so so many people last Friday I led a funeral service in the morning and then Graham and I spent um, some time ministering to a family whose daughter 22-year-old daughter died like our son Sam died and the family is still in shock and then we went to another funeral in the afternoon and um, that was a big day but people said oh what a dreadful day but there's something about it because I've experienced the fellowship of that suffering that um, and have experienced and I've been down in the pit and have experienced the hope that God has given me there is actually there's a privilege that goes with it as well and each one of you will have something you won't have what you might have what I've had but you might have something else you will have something else every one of us does and God will redeem it and use it if you can give it to him um, to bring someone else out of the pit and if you can remember it's good to remember what it was like when you were down there because you can forget and I saw this this woman come in this mum and I saw her face and I suddenly remembered what mine must have looked like once, that sense of hopelessness, that numbness on your face. And um, I remember the same for Pippa. And remember taking yourself back to remember the pain so that you can help bring someone out. And that's mine, but you all have, you all have one. 
You all have one and I believe that God is stirring us up to use everything that he's brought into our lives, the good and the bad, so that we can be his hands and his feet in the world and collectively we bring people out from the pits and the chains and things that they're in and you and I have the opportunity to see redemption and um, and to be real, to be real. You've got to remember your pain to be to be real with each other and God will redeem it. And uh, And so today... You know, like that with that woman, I was sitting there and she looked at me and said, did you ever wish you could die? And I said, totally. And I, I've suddenly, I've realised that as, as Christians, sometimes we don't want to be real like that because we want to give the good spiritual answer. But the, the right answer was, yes, I did once, but I said, but I don't now. I love life now and uh, God can do, only God can do that. And you'll all have the same thing. And we're going to look at a story of a man today who um, was in that pit and probably did wish that was the end. And um, what Jesus did, not just for the man, but to train everyone else up as to what we are called to do. Because you've all got a calling if you will accept it. It's a calling that you have to accept. And so here's the story. It's from Luke 18. And it says this. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. And that's the little story. And there is so much hidden in this story. And, you know, you, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, you might think, yes, I've heard that story. And sometimes, not, not sometimes, every time you read the word, I believe God wants to bring something new out of it to you. And at the moment, I'm uh, in the team for the Alpha course that we've got running which is fabulous. If you're not in this one, bring someone to the next one. It's so, so good. But there was, there was a, a, a woman there who was sharing and she's um, she doesn't really know anything about Jesus and Christianity, so much so that after the first week she did a bit of a Google search to find out more. And she said, said this, During the week I read this, that when Jesus died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And she said, and then I cried. And I thought, how many of us cry when we read that passage? Do we become just inoculated to his incredible love for us, that he was nailed to the cross, sinless, and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. And I believe we can be just so used to knowing the amazing Jesus that we forget how amazing he is. And I think God wants to break our hearts for, to remind ourselves that without him we are absolutely nothing. And, uh, and so I pray that as we look at this today, God will give us every Sunday and every day fresh eyes. And so just to get the context, Jericho was called the City of Palms and the City of Perfume. And it's because it was a resort town. So whereas you may think of Jericho as just being some dusty old town, it was a resort town. So to get this in your mind, the house I live in is about 150 years old. And sometimes I like to think of this house... <laughs> And I look at it and I think, some, once this was someone's brand new home and uh, someone, when they built my house 150 years ago, 
thought it was all the latest, like the light fittings were the latest. You can't get your mind around that because you can't look at a 150-year-old house and think, wow, how modern. You cannot ever have the ability to see what those people saw. And so in my strange way of thinking, sometimes I go to open the door and I look at that door handle and I think, that's been there for 150 years. It's weird, isn't it? Some of you might think like that as well. I look at it and I think, uh, 150 years... And how many people who I don't know have turned that door handle and it's still sitting there, like obviously well built, 150 years later, earthquake and everything. There have been times when I have felt it was about to fall down recently. But, um, <laughs> um, but you know, it's still standing. And so it was built as a well-built home and it was brand new. So think of Jericho. So don't think of the old dusty city. Jericho was a resort town. And the reason it was called City of Palms and City of Perfume, it had beautiful palms and elegant things. And King Herod the Great bought some of these palms from Cleopatra, who had been gifted these by Antony. So it's magnificent. So think of a resort town. Think of Cairns or Nice or Las Vegas or I don't know. I haven't been to Las Vegas, but you know, all these places you think of that everyone just goes to for fun. That's Jericho. Herod had brand new buildings placed in this city. So modern, opulent city where everyone goes to have fun. So don't think of a little dusty, dirty village. So you've got this. And then you've got um, Jesus coming in and uh, he is the flavour of the month. And he is, just to get this into context, this is about a week before Jesus is crucified. So um, just not long after this, as he's, so he's on his way to Jerusalem through Jericho, and Jericho is about 18 miles or something from Jerusalem, that there's all these pilgrims going, going with him. So there's a big crowd, and they're all really excited, and they're all heading to to Jerusalem. And when they do get to Jerusalem, um, as we've celebrated not so long ago, they had um, what we now call Palm Sunday, where everyone came in, and they're all singing Hosanna to him. And then a few days later, they all cried out, crucify him. That's the crowd that's coming up with him. So there's the context. So you've got opulent city, Jesus flavour of the month, all the people excited, poor blind beggar at the gates of this city, just hoping someone might notice him and throw him a few coins so that he can feed himself for the day. There's the picture. And so as Jesus comes in, the blind man calls out, what's happening? What's happening? Because he can hear there's a big commotion, which means they're all really excited. It's just not the regular crowd. It's a big commotion. He can't see it, but he can hear because he's used to hearing all day what's going on and something different is happening. And he cries out and says, what's happening? And someone says to him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, something profound is happening here. It's because when he when they say Jesus of Nazareth, these are people who are sort of going along for the ride. Jesus of Nazareth. So Nazareth was a town where Jesus grew up, where nothing good ever came out of. So you didn't expect anything, anyone great to come out of Nazareth. It was a nothing town. And um, I won't give an example town because someone probably came from there. Uh, so, but you can imagine yourself the town that it could be like. They couldn't come from there, from there you know. Um, and for some reason when towns are little, you know, you hear of some famous actor or singer and you find out they came from some little New South Wales country town. Wow, they came from a little country town. Like 
Why couldn't they? Just because you're born in Sydney doesn't mean you're any more prone to greatness than someone who's born somewhere out west. But it's something we have in our minds. So they thought nothing. So they didn't expect that much from him. So they call out Jesus of Nazareth because what they see is someone who does miracles. And who doesn't want to be around someone who does miracles for you? Everyone does. So that's pretty exciting. And what's more, you saw him walking and you joined in the procession. You're with him and like, this is really, really exciting. Someone who does miracles. Someone who we're going to cry out Hosanna to because he's come to do everything that we want. Get rid of the Roman people who are oppressing us and change and make Israel free. And he doesn't do it. So they're loving this procession. And then a week later they're crying out crucify him because he didn't serve them in the way that they wanted him to serve them. And you can think, I tell you what, those people back there, so selfish. But we can be so much the same. Truly, you can become a follower of Jesus and after a time when he doesn't serve you the way that you wanted to be served and no one can tell you why God didn't do this in your life, you move off. He said, oh, it's not going to church anymore. I'm sick of that. And God didn't do what I wanted and neither did the people in the church. And I'm confused now. I too, there's been many times in my life where God didn't serve me the way I wanted him to serve me. But I've discovered later on he actually was serving me. I didn't realise it at the time. He was bringing something good into my life. So that's how they saw him. But this man calls out Jesus, son of David. Now everyone who was there who was Jewish would know that this term, son of David, meant he's the Messiah, he's God. Totally different view of him. And I believe that we can really, we can even gather together today, gather in our small groups or be at home praying or whatever you're doing, and you can come with the attitude of Jesus of Nazareth, do a miracle in my life, or... Jesus, Messiah, Son of David, God, creator of the universe, have mercy on me. Because you recognize his greatness and your smallness. And truly, that understanding, getting those identities right is key to everything in life and death and eternity. It's key. Because you can come, you can even become a Christian, but you're still in a way of calling out Jesus of Nazareth. I just want to hang around you where the miracles are. But here's a man who has nothing and he's crying out, Messiah, have mercy on me. He doesn't come with any bargaining chips. Like I've come to God with bargaining many times and maybe some of you have as well. Bargaining sounds like this in your head. Dear God, please do this because I have done this, this and this and I've earned it from you. Well, I've earned nothing from him, (laughs) nothing. And when we keep thinking of earned something from him, we keep coming with this. But he doesn't come. Jesus, have mercy on me because I am the forgotten person. I'm sitting over here. You're all having fun. They've all got money. I've got none. They can all see I'm blind. I sit in the dust and the dirt. Jesus, so because of this, would you have mercy on me? He doesn't doesn't have any bargaining chips. He just says, have mercy, have mercy. And so the people who were walking with Jesus actually turned around and told him to be quiet. In fact, it says they rebuked him. They didn't just say, shush, don't bother him. And they didn't ignore him either. And sometimes you hear people like cry out in a crowd and everyone just ignores them. But they actually intentionally turned to him and rebuked him and got angry with him. Basically, you're spoiling the fun. You're in the way. You're an interruption in our 
beautiful day as we head into this resort town of Jericho with this man who does miracles. So please just be quiet, man at the gate. He was annoying to them. But you know, sometimes the interruptions in our lives <clears throat> that we think are annoying are actually God's plan. Is anyone old enough to remember Phil Keege's song, Disappointment, His Appointment? Do you know that, Jeremy? Disappointment, His Appointment, Change One Letter and I See. That the thwarting, what that, do you remember it? Up you get. <laughs> Basically, disappointment, if you change that one first letter, can be his appointment. And this is his appointment. This is a good song, and you could sing it one Sunday. <laughs> it's very good. And so what happens is that all the crowd's having fun, and all these people are saying, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, and Jesus stops everything. And he does a in very intriguing thing. So here's these people telling him to be quiet and they all think they're following Jesus and Jesus is about to show them, you're not following me. You might be on the road to Jerusalem, but you're not following me. And I really believe God is, is saying this to us as his followers at the moment. Are you actually following me or are you just along for the party? Because this is what I do. This is what I do. I stop. This is Jesus saying, not me. I'm stopping things here and I'm pointing everyone's attention to this one man who is broken, poor, blind, alone, marginalised, rejected and nobody wants him in the party. And Jesus, instead of going over to him, says to the people who were rebuking him, bring him to me. Can you see this moment? He's sitting out there, the one that nobody wants to touch, and Jesus actually says, can you go and bring this guy to me, please? And they have to, everything stops, and they have to walk over and bring him to Jesus. You know, um, Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28, after he teaches them three years of training, he dies, he's, he rises again, and before he sends, he says, okay, Go into all the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It was key that he said in the name because baptisms happened then in someone's name, meaning that the person would become like that person and bring honor to that person who was their teacher. So he's saying, so make disciples like I've made a disciple of you and teach them everything I've commanded you. And what did he command them? He said, you, these are the two commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Everything is summed up in that. Go and you do the same. So the question for us is, how many disciples are you making? Because that's what he's asked us to do. Go and make disciples. Make people who become like me. I've been teaching you to be like me. And now you go and do the same. That is the call of every person who chooses to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. That's the call on each one of us. And so how many disciples are we making? And how do you make disciples? How do you do that? Well, Jesus just stops and he gives a little example here. Here's someone who is an outcast and he says, bring him to me. So you bring people to Jesus. And we'll come back to that at the end. How, how do you actually start doing that? How do you start doing that? Because some of you may have think it's just going and whacking someone over the head with your Bible, but Jesus doesn't do that. And Jesus, when he calls this man, doesn't say, right, bring this man to me. I know this about your past, and um, but I just want to check before I heal you, do you believe I'm the Son of God? Do you believe I'm born of the Virgin Mary? Do you believe? He doesn't say that. See something profound in this man. 
And Jesus says to the blind man, what do you want? Now that's, that's an interesting question. I've heard so many sermons and read so many things about why Jesus says, what do you want? And so um, do I have the right answer? Probably not, but this is what I see here because lots of people have answers as to why Jesus said, what do you want? But I think it was really important that that man in front of the whole crowd said what he wanted. You think it'd be pretty obvious. You can't even see Jesus, so people have to lead him there. And, uh, and Jesus says, what do you want? And he says, I want to see. It was very important that he says, I want to see, because he actually had the faith to speak that out. He didn't say, oh, I don't know, whatever you want to give me. He said, I want to see. This is what I want. I really, really want to be able to want to see, because that seeing will change everything. And Jesus says... Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And I think Jesus was showing this, showing everyone how someone that they all thought was worthless could actually partner in bringing the kingdom of God into the world. The no one could partner. Because it's Jesus says to him, receive your sight, your faith, your faith has healed you. How could this man, who's a nothing, have this incredible faith that actually enables him to receive healing from Jesus? Because anyone can, and particularly you can when you've hit the bottom of the barrel and you recognise that you have nothing. You particularly can then. When you're relying on your own great efforts, your own goodness, then you'll miss out on this. But when you see yourself before God, when your identity is without him, I am nothing, you are ready for a miracle in your life. And that's what this man said. But this word, sesoskin, which, which, from which we, the Greek word sozo comes, means saved, healed and delivered. So what this man received was not just his physical sight, he received salvation that day because he put his total faith in Jesus. He put his total faith in Jesus. And what happened then was this, that he, it says he followed Jesus. So he got this, he got dignity, he had none before. He got healing, he couldn't see before. He could now earn money, he'd never been able to do that before. He got belonging, he joined the crowd and he followed Jesus. And I can assure you, because he'd been at the bottom and he remembered what it was like as he's following Jesus, if he sees a blind man at the side, he will bring him to Jesus. And if you can remember where you were, you'll be able to look to someone else and you'll be able to love them where they are and you'll be able to bring them to Jesus. And when we're so full of um, our own religious efforts, I call it religious because it is religious efforts, to be good, we forget that without him we are nothing because we're called to make disciples. So who are you in this story? You can be one who just changes with the wind. I love following Jesus when everything is great, when the praise songs are great, when everything is great, I love following Jesus. But when he doesn't do what I want, I don't love it anymore. It's a, it's a picture of being fickle, really, not faithful. It's fickle. And as you look at Jesus' story, fewer and fewer and fewer people followed him to the foot of the cross. From Jericho to the cross, the crowd gradually thinned out. And we need to ask ourselves, what am I? Who am I in this? Am I one who will say, yes, I love God when everything's going my way and he's doing what I want? And then when it's not happening, um, yeah, I just, you know, I don't like it as much anymore because you just go by your emotions and your feelings of the day and um, you end up saying, crucify him. Or are you like the, the man who hit the bottom? Now, to be honest, we've all hit the bottom. 
But it's only when you realise at the bottom that there is no way out apart from the grace and the mercy of God that you really understand the bottom. And so, you, you know, maybe you're at the bottom and, and you don't realise that you need the grace and the mercy of God, maybe you're still blaming other people and other things that you're at the bottom. And when you really hit the bottom, then you realise there is nothing you can do and you need the grace and the mercy of God. That's why you praise God when you hit the bottom because suddenly you wake up and you realise there is a God who loves me who's going to get me out of this pit and I don't have to do anything except trust in him. And this faith that this man saw was a faith that expected God to do good. So if you hit the bottom and you're feeling miserable about yourself and you're blaming yourself, you're really not at the bottom. The bottom of the bottom means that you realise that there is mercy for all people, that God doesn't condemn and he's not punishing you. He is ready to bring you up. And that's what brings you such great joy because it, his mercy is undeserved. His love is undeserved towards us. So, Or are you the one who has been rescued and seeks to rescue? Because you will be ready to be a disciple maker. Because you will understand that every human heart, every soul longs to be filled with the love of God. The love that gave himself for us. You see, in this, we can be like this. We can. Um, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He says, it's written about him. He didn't come to serve, but to be served and give his life as a ransom for many. And then he calls us to be his followers. And he says in this that you are not there to be served but to serve and to lay down your life for other people so that they too can share in the beauty and the glory and the power of the kingdom of God because everyone needs to be rescued. That's the calling on our lives and that's why Jesus says you need to count the cost because if you become my disciples, you no longer live for yourself. As it says, I, no longer I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by the power of the Son of God within me, by his spirit within me. So it, it is a big calling. And whereas I believe some people have thought Christianity is just like another little way of getting your needs met in life, or it's so much bigger, it's giving your life away and saying, here I am. I want to experience the power of your redemption and the fellowship of your suffering so that I might become like you, so that I can know you, so I can lead others into the beauty of knowing you because it's what every heart on the planet actually is looking for. It's actually looking for that. And so how do we do that? Well, the first thing, see, Jesus has this identity in who he is, and they misunderstood him. You know, they're, they're telling this guy to be quiet, and Jesus doesn't want them to be quiet, he, the man to be quiet. He wants to transform the man's life. And as soon as that man received mercy, his life was transformed instantly, instantly. He went on his way with Jesus. It's amazing how God's mercy can transform in an instant. And so what is your identity as a follower of Jesus? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be, this is what he's calling you to. He's giving you a call for your life to be someone who brings hope and life and love and redemption and possibilities of God's goodness coming into people's lives because people need to know that God loves them and he has a plan for their life. And it's a great plan. And it, there'll be some suffering as well, but it will still be great because it'll bring amazing things in the end and on the journey. And so in the um, be beginning of the book of Philippians, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote when he was in prison to the, the Christians who are in Philippi. And he writes it from Paul and Timothy, his co-worker, and this is how he starts off. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This is an identity thing. 
So how do you see yourself? This is how he starts the letter, as a servant of Christ Jesus. That means he is giving his life to serve Jesus. That means he wakes up every day, whether he's in prison or not, he's in prison at this point, to serve Christ Jesus. And he praises God that he's in prison a little bit later on the letter because of the good things that have happened from him being in prison. So he's there to serve Christ Jesus. So here's the thing for us, fellow disciples. Do you wake up every morning or would you try this and say, before you even you can open your eyes, you know, you're awake and your eyes are still closed. That happens to me. I like that for a long time, but it's not always possible. Um, so still lie there and say to the Lord, Today I'm your servant. I'm waking up and I'm ready for today because I'm your servant, Lord. I'm your servant. I am here to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring comfort to those who need comfort, to bring love to those who are unloved, to bring belonging to those who are rejected, to bring power to those who need power, to bring redemption to those who need redemption. I'm here to serve. Jesus came, he served everyone to make their life flourish. So if you think of that, wherever you're planted, you have neighbours, you have co-workers, you have friends, you have family. And what if they're not an interruption in your life? What if you were put there to serve them? That man who seemed to be the interruption was put there so that Jesus could serve him. And what if the people in your life, the ones that you think are the interruption, are there for you to serve to bring the love of God to and you want the procession to keep going and you want them to be quiet or to change. But God is saying, no, let's stop the procession. You're here to serve them. What if you actually live next door to your neighbours so that you can serve them and make their life better? What if that's the real reason that you live at that address? What if the real reason that the people who are in your family who are married into your family are there so that you could serve them and make their life flourish? because you are a servant of the one who does that. And then he goes on just in this very first verse to say, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. God's holy people. Now what does that actually mean? Because you might think, oh, well, this is not me now because I'm not holy. In some translations it says saints, and you actually are a saint and you are made holy because the real meaning of holy is set apart for a particular purpose. You are set apart. Now, Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in him, he washes your sins away. And you can read in Colossians 1 that it says you now stand before him holy and blameless, so set apart and blameless without a single fault, because of the, only because of your faith in his sacrifice for you. But that makes you set apart. Set apart. So you're a servant set apart. So just think about that for a moment. Monday morning, you wake up. And you take a moment before your feet hit the floor to say, Lord, here I am, willing to be your servant, set apart for whatever you call me to do today, to bring your grace, your love, your mercy, your hope into the lives of every person I encounter, every person. I am your servant. And that's your identity for the day. Not, dear God, this is what I want to happen today. Make it happen. And now I'll go on my day. But dear God, here I am, I'm your servant. And I am holy. I recognise because of Jesus, I've been called and chosen and I'm holy and set apart to serve. Not because I'm superior, but to be a servant to you and to everyone I encounter. And that's how he starts. If you want to be like the people who brought the man to Jesus, if you want to do what Jesus is doing, this is where it starts. Firstly, it's how you see yourself. 
a servant, holy and set apart. And you will be put with wonderful people and with difficult people, just like Jesus was. And they're there because you have his love in you for those people. And so then he says, this is how I pray. And so if you're not sure how to bring people to Jesus, you start by praying for them. And this is, he says, and this is my prayer, this is what Paul says, that your love, he prays for these people, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless to, on the day for the day of Christ. Okay, so he's praying for this love. Now this love that he's praying for here is not just any love. Because everyone has some sort of love, and Jesus talks about that. He says, well, it's no big deal if you love people who love you because anyone can do that. Everyone can do that. If someone's really nice to you, of course you love them. But he's talking about it. This is, the word for this love is called agape, and it means the pure, self-sacrificial love of God, the love that loves without demanding a return. The return is wonderful because it means you come together, but you don't love people so that they love you. You just love them because you love, and that's how God loves. God is love, and he loves you because he loves you. He's not loving to demand something back from you. He just loves you because when Jesus gave his life on the cross, it wasn't that I will do this, and if you um, don't love me back, I will hate you. He will always love you even if you reject him for eternity. It means you won't be with him for eternity, but it doesn't mean he hates you. He always loves. And that's the love that he's asking for people to have. So when you pray for someone, he says this just before this, he said, every time you come to my mind, I thank God for you. You know, he, and the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, pray continually. And sometimes we think, well, how do you pray continually? Here's an example. Every time someone comes into your mind, say, thank you, God, for that person. Thank you. Regardless of what you're think, thinking, why you're thinking of them, you might be thinking because you love them. You might be thinking because you're afraid of them. You might be thinking because you, are, you don't like them. But you thank God for them. So thank you, God, for bringing that person to mind. And now I'm going to pray that they would be filled to overflowing with your abundant agape love. What more could anyone want to be filled to overflowing? And the result is when they're filled with that love, they'll be able to discern what is best and they'll be made pure and blameless. That's the start. Because when you know that every time you pray for someone, every time you think of someone, you ask God to transform those thoughts into a, a thought of love and blessing to them, then you are ready to bring, if they don't know Jesus, you're ready to bring them to Jesus. And if they do know Jesus, you're praying that they'll become closer to him. That's the heart that God is calling all of us to have. And to do that, you have to do a lot of dying to self and a lot of recognising your own sin and your own failure and your own brokenness and see the mercy and love of God because then you realise his incredible love for you. And that is what God's calling us to do. And so we have this blind man who reached the pits and received mercy because he's put his faith in the Son of God and he won't forget it. And God is asking you to do the same. Wherever you reached the pits and received mercy or are you in the bottom of a pit now and you need the mercy, you need the strength somehow to believe God could do something good in this and you can't imagine what it is. And are there people in your world, are you so busy in your party with Jesus that you didn't see the interruption of the person who is marginalised or hurting or just lost, just lost? And Jesus is saying to you, bring them to me. And you don't know where to start, so you start with this, thank you God that you've put them in my life. 
Fill them to overflowing with your love and see what happens. Because Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And I believe he wants to stir us up to say, are you making them? Because every person on the planet needs to know the mercy and the love of God. And truly, that song we sang this morning, break my heart for what breaks yours. If you pray that, he will do it, if you mean it. And then you will understand that you have been chosen and called and set apart to serve him. So I'm going to ask the, uh, the worship team to come up and just to, um, to meditate on that song. Just to meditate and to make it your prayer if you're brave enough to. Because Jesus did say, if you want to be my followers, you do need to count the cost. Because it means giving your life away to him. But what more could you ask for in this world? And I think uh, the thing I like about, like on Friday, being reminded that this life is short and you only have one life to live. And may you do it to the honour and glory of God so that one day you will stand before him and he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he actually wants for you. So let's just use this song as a time of hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.